Now it happened when Yahweh was about to take Elijah by a whirlwind to heaven that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please, for Yahweh has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, I will not forsake you. So they went down to Bethel. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know what Yahweh, that Yahweh will take away your master from over you today? And he said, Yes, I know. Be silent. And Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for Yahweh has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, I will not forsake you. So they came to Jericho. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho approached Elisha and said to him, Do you know that Yahweh will take away your master from over you today? And he answered, Yes, I know. Be silent. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for Yahweh has sent me to the Jordan. And he said, As Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, I will not forsake you. So the two of them went on. Now, 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood opposite them at a distance. But the two of them stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle and folded it together and struck the waters. And they were divided here and there so that the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now it happened when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please, let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. As they were going along and talking, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire, and it separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind to heaven. And Elisha was seeing this, and he was crying out, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw Elijah no more. Then he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned And stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and struck the waters and said, Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? Indeed, he himself also struck the waters, and they were divided here and there. And Elisha crossed over. Then the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho opposite him saw him and said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Then they said to him, Behold now, there are with your servants fifty excellent men. Please let them go and search for your master, lest the spirit of Yahweh has taken him up and cast him on some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him until he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and they searched three days, but did not find him. So they returned to him while he was staying at Jericho, and he said to them, 
Did I not say to you, do not go? Then the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold now, the habitat of this city is pleasant. And as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the land is unfruitful. And he said, Bring me a new jar and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. And he went out to the spring of water and threw salt in it and said, Thus says Yahweh, I have purified these waters. There shall not be from their death or barrenness any longer. So the waters have been purified to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Then he went up from there to Bethel. And as he was going up by the way, young boys came out from the city and mocked him and said to him, Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. Then he looked behind him and saw them, and he cursed them in the name of Yahweh. Then two female bears came out of the woods and tore up 42 lads of their number. And he went from there to Mount Carmel. And from there he returned to Samaria. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we love this portion of your word. It captivates us. We are riveted by these two godly men and by your dealings with them and through them. We pray that tonight that we would know in a fresh way the God of Elijah, the God of Elisha, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. It's a great chapter, isn't it? It is fascinating. And even as I'm reading, I'm, I'm thinking, well, I'd like to comment on that. And I'd like to comment on that. Uh, but we must be somewhat concise tonight. It is a riveting portion of God's word. It has our attention. Um, Elijah the Tishbite is already a fascinating character. Remember, he is the one that God used at Mount Carmel um, to render judgment upon the prophets of Baal and the prophets, prophetesses of Asherah. And fire came down from heaven. This is Elijah the Tishbite, the man of God who stood for God in the face of the most violent evil in the person of Ahab and his wife Jezebel. And he was faithful. He had moments of profound discouragement, of despair, of depression. But God strengthened him and God sent him and he went back out into the fight. And think of it, in his days, though he did doubtless meet some of the 7,000 that God said he had preserved that would not bow the knee to Baal, Elijah doubtless met them and doubtless was encouraged by that. But among the many thousands of Israel, 7,000 isn't too much. In his days, this godly man grieved for the wickedness and the idolatry and the blasphemy of Israel. And his heart was broken, yet he remained faithful and steadfast. He is a hero of the scriptures, and we should hold him in high esteem. Elisha, who will succeed him, also we should hold in high esteem, and we'll learn more of him in the coming weeks. 
Uh, his name means uh, Yahweh is salvation. I wish I'd known that when I was growing up because my brother's name is Elisha. And I maybe, maybe would have been a little uh, more careful as a little boy to, to not make fun of my brother. And, um, you know, sometimes in brotherly affection, he would call me Gabrielle and I would call him Elisha. But, but Elisha is actually a great name, and um, I'm grateful for the parent, my parents, the names they gave to my brother and to me. But I have lived with Elisha uh, of sorts my whole life, and my brother's name is Elisha. But this Elisha was a great prophet of God, and uh, uh, he was used of God in, in mighty ways. So tonight, I want to step back at first, as we already have in, in a way, and look at the evil of the days and consider the, the situation. The situation is urgent. There are not many godly people. I mem- remember God said he would preserve 7,000 who would bow, not bow the knee to Baal, but that's not too many. The days are evil, and Ahab may be gone, but Jezebel's offspring are still around, both in Israel and in Judah. We've learned that Ahaziah, their son, is of such character that he tries to send not one, not two, but three troops of 50 men to assault Elijah the Tishbite. And we remember that all that was left of two of those troops of 50 were ashes on the ground, for God sent fire from heaven to consume them. But that's the inclination of the day. That's how, how kind the authorities are towards godly men, the man of God who preached the word of God. And so they are dire and they are evil days. And Elijah, God has the Tishbite, God has raised up to be a champion of the faith. There are other prophets we learn, these sons of the prophets, that phrase, you know, kind of throws us maybe a little bit, but it, it seems to be that these were, these were groups of prophets, groups of pastors, if you will. Um, you might call them little colleges or seminaries, but, but pastors and prophets have always needed to fellowship and to strengthen one another. And um, I see that just as an aside, as, as part of even my responsibility here at this church. I regularly... Uh, try to reach out to other like-minded pastors because I need that fellowship and you need that connection to other faithful churches. God's people should know one another. So, so these, these, there are other godly men, but Elijah the Tishbite is the leader of leaders. He is in that generation, the man that everybody says, what are we going to do when Elijah's gone? What are we going to do when Elijah's gone? We're living in somewhat similar days. I don't want to over-dramatize it, but we have been blessed in this generation with some great men of God. Um, I really believe that you fast forward 100 years from now, and uh, should the Lord tarry, and I hope he doesn't, (laughs) but I think we will look back on this time and we will see that we have been blessed by God giving us some, some particularly great and godly men but they are of a generation that the Lord is starting to take them home. And it's not readily evident how God is bringing up men of similar caliber behind these great men. God has raised up leaders among us, men who have been faithful to preach the word of God, not for a few years 
but for decades and who have championed the faith and have that have been used of God to impact not only their own church but many churches we saw Friday night just it just so happens that Friday evening a few of us were gathered here we were watching a, a conference called the Puritan Conference that was being held out at Grace Community Church and it was a unique moment when uh, John MacArthur and John Piper um, were interviewed in a Q&A and these two men that have been used uh, of God greatly in this generation and there are others but they are they are among some of the foremost who have held out for the inerrancy and the infallibility of God's word they have held out for the the truth of the gospel they have they have they have defended things as such as um, God has ordained and chosen for men to be leaders in the church. It's really hard to overstate how God has used these two men, for example, John Piper and John MacArthur. And I'm not saying that to lift them up. They both have their errors. I can both point personally to parts of their uh, teaching maybe that I might differ with in a few points, but these men are faithful men who have been used and impacted a whole generation, uh, my generation. And to watch these two men, um, one in his 80s and, and the other in his late 70s, and, and the time is passing. And there are some of us who wonder, we tend to wonder, what's going to happen when, when some of these great fathers, these leaders in the evangelical church are no longer with us? Who's Who's going to be a voice to hold fast? And because, again, it's not evident necessarily right now, you know, a voice that's coming behind. These are evil days. And we wonder, who is God going to raise up? What men is God going to raise up to lead his people and to care for them in these days? Well, with that in mind, I think that is the theme of this text, is the is the question that's asked is really the question of the chapter by Elisha in chapter 2 verse 14 where is Yahweh the God of Elijah that's the question of the chapter that's the question of that time and that is a question of our days where is God Yahweh the God of Elijah the question is he's right here the God who does not change if I could change the title of the sermon, I might retitle it, The God Who Does Not Change. Well, in verses 1 through 18, we first learn about uh, the passing of the mantle, the prophetic mantle from Elijah to Elisha. And it's a fascinating uh, tale. A lot of verses are taken up in with helping us follow Elijah and Elisha as Elisha follows Elijah. It's interesting, and they go on quite a little uh, journey. A Gilgal, this Gilgal is apparently uh, somewhat north of Jerusalem. They go from there to Bethel, and then they go to the east over to Jericho. This isn't just, you know, a mile jaunt here or there. This is quite a journey they've been on. This is quite a trip. This is a period of time. But Elisha, who has already been set apart by Elijah to follow him and to be his, his protege, his, uh, Elijah has mentored Elisha, 
Elisha knows, apparently, somehow it's been revealed to him and to other prophets that Elijah's day has come and that his going to be with Yahweh is imminent. And no one knows exactly, except apparently by verse 3, they come to know, by the time they get to Bethel, they know it is today. They know the day, apparently, it's been revealed to them. And Elisha is, is just moving his loyalty. His loyalty. He says, verse 2, to Elijah, As Yahweh lives and as your soul lives, I will not forsake you. There's a doggedness to Elisha. There's, there's a stubborn faithfulness. Uh, Elijah is just not going to lose Elisha. It's not happening. He, he's not going to be able to shake him. And we don't know exactly why Elijah is saying, stay here, please. We don't know if this is a test we don't need to entertain conjecture, but what is plain and what is clear is that just as Elijah modeled the faithfulness of God, so does Elisha. The dogged, determined, stubborn faithfulness of God in pursuing his purposes and his faithfulness to his people and to his servants is modeled by Elisha. It's a bit of an aside, but there is a pastoral lesson here for leadership in the church, for Christian servanthood in general, that faithfulness, loyalty, is highly prized because it models the loyalty of God. The idea that where God calls us and where he sends us and who he puts us with, that we are faithful to them and loyal to them until God himself moves us. We live in a generation of um, easy come and easy go in our Christian relationships, in our relationship to churches. That's true of pastors. That's true of those who are in the chairs or the pews. We have very light commitment And it's just a moving loyalty that's here. This is the kind of loyalty that we are to have to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And I thank God that in this church, I know that I have brothers and sisters who who have this kind of Christ-like loyalty to me, to my family. It's it's a precious thing. It's not a man-centered loyalty. It's a God-centered loyalty. God-reflecting, God-honoring faithfulness. Not irrespective or um, unknowing of the faults in one another, but Elijah, who knows Elisha, Elisha, who knows Elijah better than anyone, is not going to leave him. He's going to be with him to the last. He will not forsake you. I will not forsake you, he says to Elijah. And that kind of determination expresses God's determination to his people. In the dark hour, in the shadow of Jezebel's legacy, God will not forsake his people. 
and his prophets reflect his character. So they go on this journey from place to place, and there's this interesting exchange. Elijah keeps, Elisha, uh, Elijah says to Elisha, verse 4, stay here. Yahweh sent me to Jericho. He goes to Jericho. And then he says, verse 6, stay here. Yahweh sent me to the Jordan. Um, And again, each time Elisha restates, as Yahweh lives and your soul lives, I will not forsake you. Minds you a little bit of Ruth the Moabitess, doesn't it? She would not forsake Naomi under any circumstances. Well, they get to the Jordan, and by now there's the prophets, uh, the other prophets, this group of prophets, 50 of them are told in verse 7. They know, uh, they, they know that today is the day. They know they've heard that Elijah is on the road, that Elisha is following him. And they want to see what's going to happen. They want to know what's going to happen. This is a, a quite a moment. And it's not just pure curiosity. They have a vested interest in knowing what God is going to do. How is God going to take care of his people? Where is the mantle of Elijah going to be passed? Who is going to take it up? And so there they are in verse 7. And verse 8, Elijah took his mantle, this, this article of clothing that partly symbolized his prophetic office, and apparently he takes it up and maybe wraps it like a towel, or I don't know, you know, and, and strikes the river, and the, the water, the Jordan River, is divided. Now, when's the last time you heard that? When they went into the promised land. So, so that's the background here. Is, is Elijah is a Moses-like, Joshua-like figure. And Moses never came into the promised land, remember? He went to be with God on the other side of the Jordan. Interesting that God is having Elijah go to the other side of the Jordan before he is taken up in the glory. But this is, this last time this happened is when when the people of Israel came into the promised land, crossed the Jordan, and God went before them and fought their battles, and in the face of impossible odds, the first one being Jericho. Do you remember that story? And marching around the walls, and it was fortified and impossible to assault. All the imagery here is reminding the people of God in that day and here tonight that the God of Elijah, the God of Joshua, the God of Moses does not change. He is still the same God of power. And though many centuries may have passed, he is able to cause the Jordan to dry up at a moment's notice and cause his godly men to cross over on dry land. God is still the same. He has not changed same God. So they're going along and verse 9, when they crossed over, Elijah finally stops saying, hey, will you, will you take off? Maybe it has been a test. Maybe he's been testing Elisha 
as to whether, I mean, maybe he's been giving him an out. After all, the prophetic ministry is not going to be easy. It's going to mean heartache and possibly martyrdom. And Elijah has received the call of God, and he's not taking the easy out. And so finally, Elijah asked Elisha, what do you want me to do for you before I am taken from you? Verse 9. And Elisha doesn't have to take a lot of time to think. He's already been thinking about it. What would I ask God if I had the opportunity for when my master leaves? And he says, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Of course, he's not praying that literally the spirit of Elijah would somehow dwell within him. It's the spirit of God who has been upon Elijah. And so what he's asking for is Elijah, the man who was used of God to call down fire upon the altar on Mount Carmel. uh, I would like a double portion of the spirit's gifting that has been in you. Wow. And Elisha, Elijah says, you have asked, verse 10, for a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Why does he say that? Well, apparently it's been revealed to him from the Lord that that is the indication as to whether God will do that, whether God will grant Elisha's request. It's not some kind of mumbo jumbo Uh, we see the true prophets often are given by God a sign, an indication to know what the will of God is. So apparently, if God grants Elisha to see the moment when Elijah is taken up, then he will receive a double portion. what, What a scene. It's moving. In a way, verse 11, I shouldn't say in a way, it is moving. This elder statesman, Elijah, at this point, being accompanied by his beloved disciple, talking. They're talking about that double portion matter, but who knows what else they're talking about. These men have spent a lot of time together. Elisha thinks of Elijah like a father. Verse 12, my father, my father. Now we've learned Elisha has a physical father. He has a family. He's left his family to follow Elijah. But he looks to Elijah like a father. It's a very affectionate deep, respecting relationship. And they're walking along and they're talking and there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire. Now these are symbolic of the armies of heaven and that's what Elijah cries out, my father, my father, the the armies of Israel, the chariots of Israel and horsemen God sends his troops, as it were, as a somewhat, I would say, as an honor guard. 
I mean, this was, we just witnessed this in the Queen's funeral. I, I wasn't planning to watch it. I happen, I happen to usually have Mondays off. So as I know that most couldn't watch it. Maybe some wouldn't be interested. I wasn't planning on watching uh, the funeral procession. What was it a few weeks ago? But I, I turned the television on, started watching it, and I was riveted. I, I, I kept going back and watching it for a few hours. It was, it was moving. Part of it was how deeply Christian the services were, and apparently that was requested by Her Majesty, and there was not a vestige of liberal theology in any portion of her services, which was just so nice to watch and to listen. But you saw the, the, her casket being, it was just so deeply moving to see the honor that she was given and the various cavalry and the soldiers all marching and we're not talking like right they weren't walking like a mile they were walking miles plural and thought nothing of it to honor her well is that what God is doing by sending this fiery chariot horses of fire chariot of fire God is honoring his servant God is honoring his servant. And the chariot separates Elijah and Elisha. It's maybe somewhat humorous to reflect that only the chariots of fire and the chariot horses of God could separate Elijah from Elisha. Maybe God <laughs> said, well, if I, don't, if I don't send chariot of fire, this Elisha boy is never going to leave this Elijah. I'm not going to be able to take him home to glory. So <laughs> the chariot of fire comes, separates the two of them, and... It doesn't say that Elijah got in the chariot. I remember I have this, as a little boy, there was, there's this little Bible book with stories, Bible stories, and this was one of them. And there was a picture, a drawing of a fiery chariot and, and Elijah being taken. I love that book. And wow, you know, he's being taken up in a fiery chariot. Well, I don't know. It doesn't say he actually got in the chariot. It says the chariot separated them. And he was taken up by a whirlwind. Now, the whirlwind is, is a common uh, occasion or revelation or occurrence when the glory of God is revealed to his people. It's, it's an expression of the majesty and the glory of Yahweh, of God. And so God sends his fiery chariot and horses of fire the armies of heaven to honor his servant and then grants that his servant be taken directly up in an expression of the power and the glory of of Yahweh to heaven he does not die a natural death his body is apparently not left behind he is like Enoch, who was no more, who walked with God and was no more. Fascinating. So Elijah is a unique man in the history of redemption. Elisha is seeing this, and what a privilege. He needed, maybe God sent the chariot of fire and the, the horses of fire, maybe not so much for Elijah as much as for Elisha. For the task that he was being called to was no easy task. He was going to face awful, imposing circumstances, threats, dangers, rebukes, 
We'll even see one in this chapter in just a few moments of derision, shame being cast upon him. And God perhaps designed that Elisha would see the chariot of fire and horses of fire so that the remainder of his ministry, he would always have that fire, as it were, flickering in his eyes. And whatever, whatever challenges were in front of him that he, he always had in his heart and in his mind's eye, the image of the fiery armies of heaven so that he didn't fear anything. It's an awesome scene. And he's moved deeply. He knows his master. He knows his father, his spiritual father, his, his spiritual master and teacher was going to be taken up. And verse 12, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. We think, yeah, Elisha, he's, he's, he's being carried up. <laughs> he sees it. But he's expressing awe, wonder. And even as Elisha ascends into heaven, as he's taken up by God, Elisha is sharing with Elijah a moment of worship and reveling in the glory and the majesty and the might and the power of the armies of heaven. Elijah was no more, verse 12. And then he took, that is, Elisha took his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. It was a glorious moment, but it was a grievous moment nonetheless. It was appropriate for him to grieve. It's appropriate when godly men and women among us go to heaven that we are comforted with the thought of their passing, but it is appropriate for us to grieve. Not as those who have no hope, but he rightfully mourns the loss. He doesn't say flippantly, oh, don't worry about it. God will raise up somebody else. <laughs> when Charles Haddon Spurgeon died, the streets of London were filled filled to see his funeral hearse go by, the carriage. He was honored by believers and unbelievers alike as a great and godly man, and they felt his loss. And so Elijah, Elisha mourns Elijah's going to heaven, even as he doubtless rejoices with him. But then the key here is in verses 13 and 14. We have a new prophet. We have a new prophet. Elijah is gone. Elisha is on the scene. Elijah is no more. But God has left the mantle of Elijah behind it fell from him. And Elisha takes it up and he returned, verse 13, and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And just as Elijah had done, he struck the waters of the Jordan and said, Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? Now, he doesn't say it cynically. 
He doesn't say it in an unbelieving manner. He says it's a question of faith. It's a faith-filled question. He actually is making a fool of himself if God doesn't separate the waters. But he wants others who are witnessing perhaps the scene, the 50 of men apparently are still there at the Jordan. And he wants them to know that, in a sense, it's not Elisha that has the power. It's always been Yahweh who is the God of Elijah. God answers big time, as we say. And Elisha strikes the waters. They're divided here and there. And Elisha crosses over. This is my first point tonight. (laughs) Different prophet, same God of power. Different prophet, different man of God, same God of power. And we do need to remember that the same God we worship is the God who parted the waters at Jordan and caused fire to fall down at Carmel. And even though hundreds of years, even millennia may pass, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Well, boy, I want to keep going, but I think I'll stop. Uh, I'll stop. I'll exercise self-control right now and stop. Oh, is it hard. (laughs) But we'll look more at the remainder of this chapter next week. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for recording this transition from the ministry of Elijah to Elisha in your holy word. Our hearts are so taken up and moved by your faithfulness to your people, by your using these two godly men, and by your raising them up in those evil days to lead and to shepherd to confront evil, to stand for truth. And they are examples that move us and stir us to exemplify that kind of Christ-like courage. We thank you that, that Jesus is the ultimate prophet, as we even learned this morning that in your Son we have one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, our high priest and our prophet. And we thank you that though he has gone up and ascended, that in every generation of your people you have provided men and women of faith to lead and to disciple your people, to be examples to us, to be men and women of courage in every generation. And we take heart that though these days are evil and they are marked by change in, in, it seems these days, in a matter of months of moral change, of economic change, of changes in governments and authorities, of wars and rumors of wars, In these days of unceasing change and much perversity and much that would grieve our hearts, we praise you that in the text tonight we learn that you are the same God 
and that the God of Elijah is here with us and that he is, we know now, the God and Father of our Lord and Jesus Christ. And in this we rejoice. Amen.